1: What's happening, everybody? This is Bob Wankel alongside Anthony San Filippo. It is episode 35 of Crossed Up, and the Bryce Harper hysteria has finally settled. He's in red pinstripes now. We're a couple games into his spring training with the Phillies. And I have to ask you, and I think that this is the question that we have all now progressed to. Are the Phillies... A good team are they a playoff team where are you at with this team now that all of the hype is sort of settled down Anthony
0: you know it's kind of interesting Bob and I you know and I, as you know I'm, I'm more of a level-headed kind of a person when it comes to this I try to be as objective as possible so I you know I don't and I know sometimes people take that as a negative uh, because I don't get behind all the hype and I wasn't caught up in the hype of Bryce Harper I thought it was a good signing for the team um, but at the same time I didn't you know I wasn't out buying his t-shirts and saying here comes the world series because we signed bryce harper i mean that's that that i never looked at it that way i looked at it as this was a good addition to a lineup that is vastly improved from a year ago um if you had to ask me right now with a vastly improved lineup but with pitching kind of being along the same plane as it was last year david robertson addition in in, in the back of the bullpen uh excluded I, i think that's a nice upgrade but Everything else is, I think, the same as it was last year. I think this team is probably about, you know, seven eight wins better than they were a year ago. Does that get them into the playoffs? Maybe. You know, it could be a wild card at 87, 88 victories. Um, I don't think it's enough to win the division. Uh, I, I think the division's a really good division, it's arguably the best division in baseball um, because of it it, it. it can go four teams deep if the Mets. Lineup actually can put up some runs because their starting pitching is so good. Um, so I, I look at it and say, yeah, you know, it's a, they're in an uber-competitive division. Um, the National League is significantly better or significantly deeper than the American League. So there's not many off nights um, for the yeah, Phillies. The,
1: the American League sort of has those elite-level teams with Houston and the Yankees and the Red Sox. But the depth beyond those three teams, I think, is, is sort of suspect. Whereas in the NL, you could rattle off eight possibly yeah. even 10 teams that could could stake right. a claim as a legitimate contender to represent the National League in the World Series.
0: Right, and, and that's the point. And I think that yeah. because of that, because the because the games are going to be more competitive on a night in night out basis, I think that you, you have to expect to to win, you know, win f- a few fewer games. So I think that that's where the Phillies are. Does that make me pessimistic? No, I don't think so. I think it's I think it's a it's a better team. I think they'll be fun. I think they'll be interesting to watch. Um but at the same time, I'm not I'm not sitting here telling you now that you got Bryce Harper. Get ready for like a 95, 96 win season and a march to the World Series for the first time in a decade. That ain't, that is not happening.
1: You know, I asked you the question. I was reading an NLE's preview on MLB.com, and it was written by uh, Will Leach, the uh, mm-hmm. former guy from Deadspin. And I'm reading it, and he has the Nationals and the Braves up top, and then he has the Mets at 86 wins, and he has the Phillies at 82 and 80. And in fourth place, and then he predicted the Marlins have 47 wins. And, and I looked at it, and I said, and he goes, you know, they, they probably will win more than 47 games, but I actually am not so sure about that. It To me, I, I read that prediction, and I, I read his post, and I said, you know, this seems like a harsh assessment of the Phillies. I look at this lineup. It has talent in the middle between Hoskins and Ramuto and Harper. They have a couple good on-base guys at the top of the order. There's depth throughout. I guess I kind of had the Phillies in that 86-88 to 88 win range. I don't think that they're the odds-on favorite to win the World Series, but I was a little bit surprised at the 82-win assessment. But then I step back and I kind of look at where this team's at beyond the lineup. And and even the bullpen, I, I would say I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about how they're going to perform. But then I come back to the starting rotation. Mm-hmm. And I guess before I get into my thing with the starting rotation, what are your overall thoughts? Because I've been very against adding Dallas Keuchel. I've said like I don't yeah. want him. I you know he's I think he's headed down a bad path. I think that the peripherals are scary. The slider has regressed, even if the velocity has sort of been you know somewhat consistent over the past couple of years. Dallas Keuchel scares me. I don't want to pay him. So I say you have some high ceiling guys. Let's roll the dice going into the season with them. Where are you at on the rotation though right now?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not a big Dallas Keuchel guy. I. I you know he had a what a nice season a couple years ago when he won Cy Young in the American League and other than that what has he shown you I I I, 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 I get a, I shy away from guys who have that career year and then don't repeat it at any time <laughs> it's soon thereafter works or come close to it rather I know it's kind of hard to repeat a career year right but to uh at least come close to it um and and he hasn't done that and he was on you know, arguably the best team in in baseball for the last couple of seasons. So no, I'm I'm not a big Keuchel guy, but at the yeah. same th- at the same time, Bob, I'm a little leery about the rotation. All right, Aaron Nola, we know what we got at the top, and that's a that's a excellent an excellent number one guy to have. That's I have zero worries there. He's he's your hammer. That's awesome. Who's really the number two? I guess it's Arietta, but Arietta's. Not been the you know he didn't have a great year last year he had a nice stretch early in the season I think it was May into June like he he was pitching really well and then kind of fell off the table uh, after the All Star break and he chalked it up to a, you know a nagging injury that he didn't really tell anybody about until the end of the season okay fine um, but you know I don't know he's another year older I don't I don't see anything well, there let, to...
1: let me stop you there on on Jake Arrieta because I yeah. think Jake Arrieta is sort of emblematic of what this entire rotation is at this point. He's sort of up and down. You know, he had starts a year ago where he looked brilliant, he looked like his old self, and then he had starts where he was a disaster, where he pitched in important games. He came here to win, right? And he was pretty critical about his supporting cast at points, I think, a season ago. He had high expectations for what the Phillies were going to be. And he let them down in several crucial games a season ago. And, yeah, he may have been injured, and that's fine. I'll I'll grant him a little bit of leeway there. But I look at how the end of last season progressed over the course of August and September, and then I look at how he's pitched this spring. First time out, he was, I thought, pretty good, sharp. Uh, During the Harper debut last Saturday, I thought he was okay. I thought he ran into some bad luck. And then today... I thought, against the Pirates, he was he was awful. I mean, I was thoroughly unimpressed with what he did today. And I think he threw uh, 64 pitches, 31 balls, 33 strikes. He, he gave up a lot of hard contact. He just wasn't on. And he said, you know, it is what it is. And I, I think he said he sucked and that he's not going to cry about it. But at some point, when I look at his inconsistencies of a year ago, combined with sort of a, a pretty uninspiring spring, should I be concerned about Jake Arrieta?
0: Well, I mean, if, if you're, this, this is what I'm saying. If you identify him as your number two pitcher, then yes, you absolutely should be concerned about Jake Arietta. But if you sit there and say Arietta's more of a 3 4, eh, then he's okay.
1: And the, and the weird thing about Arietta is that the velocity's down a tick. You know, I mean, he's yeah. lost a little bit of something, but when you watch him pitch, you still see this late bite. You, you see this ball that drops late in the zone, the, the you know on a sinker. You, you see a decent changeup still. Like the ball dances, and you go, he's still got good stuff. Like he still got a lot of good late movement on his pitches. But then he runs into trouble. Like he'll leave one out over the plate, and boom! It just seems like he can't get away with any mistakes anymore. And he makes quality pitches, but when he doesn't make that quality pitch, it's like right. there's no margin for error. Right. And I, I think that that's what you're running into with him. And, and forget it. I mean, he doesn't miss bats anymore, so he's not going to be that nine, ten strikeout per nine innings guy.
0: Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I, and I was just about to say that's the difference, right? When he was having his best years with the Cubs, he would blow you away, um, and he can rely on that. And so that way, all all this other stuff, you know, looked filthy because it's like, oh my God, how are you supposed to hit that when you know you got to be ready for that, you know, the big heater coming? Well, if he doesn't have that he doesn't have that velocity on his fastball anymore. Now it makes it a little bit easier, you know, to, to uh, bat against him. And so now he's got to become more of a, you know, he's got to be more of a, of a physician out there. Right. And and carving this up and carving up that strike zone. And if he misses, it's going to, it's, it's going to, it's going to hurt him, especially at citizens bank park, which is a hitter's ballpark. So, Look, if Arietta is if if Arietta was my three, I'd be comfortable. Four, I'd be really comfortable. But if he is my three, I'd be okay. So that where does that go? Who does the next person in line? Well, it's Nick Pavetta. Um, and you know, last year we were really high on Pavetta, um, and there were times where we looked brilliant. <laughs> Bob, there were times where Nick Pavetta was sh- shined really brightly, and we sit here and say. Look at us identifying this guy as a as a as a real top of the rotation kind of guy, and then there were times where he made us look stupid.
1: Yeah, do you remember that game out in Williamsport when they did that? Uh, yes, they did whatever that's called, you know, and they go the out Little there League Classic. The, yeah, the Little League Classic, <laughs> and I mean, he he just couldn't get
0: the Mets out. out. You know, the worst
1: out. hitting team in the major leagues and he just was <laughs> he looked he got like he was in by league. them. He looked yeah, like he, he looked was Early. <laughs> and I think that I remain high on Pavetta and he's so had a I. decent spring. And and one of the things that we were talking about before the show, it's like When guys have great springs, like you remember a a few years ago, and this was after Ryan Howard came back from his Achilles tear, he had a monster spring. It was probably like 2013, and it was like Ryan Howard's back. And it was right around the same time that Don Brown was having those monster springs. And I think he did that like two years in a row. And I got really excited because I looked at the numbers and I said, this looks great. It looks like these guys have taken a step forward. But when guys struggle in spring training, I'm like usually quick to try to dismiss it and come up with an excuse for it. I say like, ah, oh, you know, it's March. He's just getting his work in. He's just focusing on one aspect of his game. You can't really worry about the ERA. You can't worry about the, you know, the overall numbers. And like Aaron Nola, for instance, right? Like I think he's a guy that we can do that with. Like Aaron Nola's numbers aren't great this spring and only a couple starts. I'm not concerned, as, as you said previously, about Aaron Nola. No big deal. But then when I get to like a guy like Vince Velasquez or you know Jake Arietta, but let's talk about Vince Velasquez a little bit. You know, and 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 certainly uh, I feel the same way. Vince Velasquez is a guy that I'm not that high on. But here we are yet again. Like I can't believe we're doing Vince Velasquez again on a, a team that we're talking about possibly making the playoffs. He's had two starts now, the ERA sits at 18, the whip is over three, opponents are hurting 429 against him. Like, so now I go, hey, listen, it's only the first two starts of of, the, of spring training, we're still in the middle of March, I shouldn't put too much stock in this, but when I combine it with the second half performance that he had a season ago, and the fact that he's really been up and down ever since he's been in the major leagues, at what point do I start to say, like, yeah man, you got to show me something in your next time out here in March before I say this is going to be a real problem. Mm -hmm. And I I think that that's what we're running into. You look at Arrieta, the the bad start today against the Pirates, what Vince Velasquez has done so far. I mean, Pavetta's been decent. Um, Zach Eflin's been decent. He was okay against the Yankees on uh, Wednesday night. So – that's my problem. When I look at the lineup, I go, this is a good lineup. It's deep. It can do a lot of different things. You have your own base guys. You have your power guys. But this starting rotation really does concern me. And and that's why I, I kind of look at it and say, okay, Will Leach, you want to give the Phillies 82 wins and put them in, in fourth place in the division? Like You're a dick. But then when I stop and think about it, I go, that's not a completely preposterous prediction
0: no it's not um and and so here's what we, what I think the Phillies this are... is
1: where people turn the podcast off I know the yeah, they're like go. oh you got the Phillies in fourth place like I don't have the Phillies in fourth place but could I see a situation in which that occurs yeah now ne- that now that the Bryce, yeah now that the Bryce Harper you know hysteria has weared off I, I worn off I, I look at it and I go yeah there are some concerns here
0: well so what I think the Phillies have done here is this I think that they look they I think their approach coming into the offseason was our pitchers basically carried us for the first you know half of or not quite three quarters, but almost three quarters of the season. two thirds of the season. Um, and we our lineup was terrible. and if we had anything any semblance of a lineup, we would have been in much better shape in the la- at the end of the season. okay, fine.
1: can can I just chime in because uh, Russ and I went through this last yeah. week. Let me just say this. over the first 95 games last season Philly starters were 37 and 29. They had the third highest war of any starting staff in all of Major League Baseball. Yep. They were ninth in strikeouts per nine. They were fifth uh, the fifth best team in the major leagues in terms of limiting walks. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the second best team in limiting home runs per nine innings. 372 ERA was the sixth best in the major league. Third best FIP at 354. Opponents only hit 237 against them. They had the fifth best whip. Like these numbers were outrageous. They were among the major league elite. In terms of starting pitching, over the first 95 games of the season, you got to the second half. I mean, they were like bottom 10 in walks. They gave up uh, like almost, I think, one point. Yeah, I have it in front of me 1.27 homers per nine innings. That skyrocketed. That was the 10th highest in the major leagues. They had the 11th worst ERA, the 15th worst uh, FIP. The WAR dropped. I mean, it, they were a disaster. And if you take out what Aaron Nola did in the second half. They were even worse. Yeah. I mean, Noah's performance in the second half of the season was the only thing that even kept those numbers quasi-respectable.
0: Yeah. Well, so what I think that the Phillies thought process is this. So let's let's fix the lineup. And uh, we're going to have a full season now of Dominguez as opposed to just a half a season with Sir Anthony. And so instead of giving – well, I think what do you have 52 innings last year, 53 innings. Now he'll be able to give you 75. Um, and you add David Robertson. To the back of that bullpen, Nerys seemed to fix himself after he went got sent down, and yeah, you know talked about back it. Up he actually s- struck yeah.
1: out like half the batters he faced yeah. after he came up in mid-August. Right, I mean, so his, you, like his K rate was literally fifty percent.
0: Right, and now you are going to get you know you hope you are going to have a healthy knee shack. Um So, I mean, you look at it and say with the bullpen being in a better in a better spot, if our pitchers can at least give us a semblance of what they gave us for the full year last year. Then our with this with this if we improve the lineup enough it'll be enough to get us into the playoffs and I, I guess that's an okay approach I I don't know yeah, I mean I, listen I don't
1: like, I'm optimistic <laughs> I I appreciate what they did over the off season yeah. I think that this lineup is market I mean the lineup is clearly better and I I think they went from being really arguably the st- First or probably dead last lineup in the NL last year. I mean, the Mets aside, but the Phillies' numbers in a lot of ways rivaled the Mets' offensive output a year ago. I mean, if you go up and you stack those two teams together – and you, you pull the names off of it, I mean, they're right in, You know, in lockstep with one another. They were yep. both abysmal. So the the offense, I think, went from being one of the worst in the National League to one of the best in the National League, and I love what they did. This isn't an indictment of the Phillies' approach or their philosophy or anything. I, it's more to say that this may take more than a year to get to where they want to go. I think that they've made significant progress in a yeah. positive direction, right? They, they did. But—, but- I don't know that they're this 90-95 win team mash their way through everybody and use their, their young arms to, to climb to the top. I just – I have now kind of – once I've calmed down and sort of assessed this thing, the starting pitching really gives me pause. And even if Nick Pavetta is the guy that we think he can be, the starting pitching still gives me pause because of Arietta because of Velasquez, and and because of Eflin. I don't think that he his performance is going to be as volatile. Like I don't think you're going to see that great stretch followed by a terrible stretch. I think that he's going to be a little bit more of a stabilizing force as a five. But I don't know what I'm getting from Arietta and Velasquez at all, and I may not know what I'm getting from Pavetta, and that's that's tough. It's tough. Well, to sure. win like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it is tough to win like that, and I think that's what I'm saying. The Phillies, have our, they're crossing their fingers. They're crossing their fingers that they'll get the kind of pitching that they got over those first 95 games from this rotation. That's what they're hoping for. The, one, the thing that concerns me is they don't have a lot of pitching depth. When you think about it, I mean, you know, how many times in baseball anymore do, do you go five pitchers through a season? You don't, right? So you need other guys to come in. And there's no I like I don't know who those other guys are going to be if you know if Velasquez falters and they have to move him to the bullpen or somebody gets hurt and you got to go to a, go to another guy. The one yeah, I mean, guy
1: is that Jared Ickoff? Is that y'all well, uh, so, De La Santos? Well, so I let's mean,
0: talk. Let's talk about this for a second, okay? So you would think Ickoff would be the first one, you know, coming back off the injury. He he had decent seasons before he got hurt. They they haven't really given him a chance in spring training. He has he's had one appearance and it's been out of the bullpen. So he's not even like slated to start. They're not stretching him out to start. Maybe, maybe he's a long man in the bullpen. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But I don't think so. Eniel De Los Santos, uh, okay. I mean, I guess he's still kind of prospect-y. Um, hasn't looked good in spring training. When, um, I, when
1: I was down in Clearwater, I actually watched uh, Eniel De Los Santos throw a bullpen. I stood over top of him. yeah, And uh, he went out and, and pitched a couple innings in the game that I saw. And he was... He was fine. You yeah. know, like he was a guy that I think you could slot in if you had to for a, a couple months and pitch him as a five. I think he could do that. But I think that's his ceiling. Yeah. Like Daniel De Los Santos isn't going to be a 15-game winner in the major leagues. No. So I'll give you one other name,
0: though. I'm going to give sure, you one other name, Bob. Sure, I want to give you one other name. And I'll tell you why I want to give you this other name. Not only because the Phillies are giving him a long look in spring training, but because a couple of years ago uh, – there were people who felt that this guy might be among the best pitchers in their system, and even though he wasn't highly regarded as a top pitching prospect. How about Drew Anderson? Uh,
1: I mean, okay. And, and, I, I'm just saying
0: I mean he, again, there were people a few years ago who thought that at the lower levels of minor leagues that he, that he was quietly a really good pitcher that would become a steady middle-of-the-rotation starter at the major league level. Yeah, Hasn't I mean, he's
1: made four starts. He's pitched 12 in two-thirds innings. The opponents are hitting 143 against them. The whip is under one. Like, yeah, the numbers have actually been pristine. He's been really probably the Phillies' best pitcher this spring.
0: Yeah, Is, is he, like, a good insurance policy? Maybe. Well, what I'd like to see them do is, you know, the, the two times he's been called up the last couple of years – he's been called up to be like a fill-in in the bullpen. Right. I'd like to see them give him a chance to start. See what he does. I mean, I don't know. I mean, hey, maybe he comes yeah. in. Hey, look, they, you don't have any other depth, right? We're we going to go to – um, uh, what's his name again? Uh, oh, why am I forgetting his name? The left-handed prospect pitcher. JoJo uh, Romero. No, who came up last year? It wasn't Romero. Oh. Why am I forgetting? Who it was?
1: Not sure.
0: Actually, came up and pitched for them in the, in the regular season. Uh, oh, Ranger Suarez. Oh, Ranger Suarez. Yeah. Right. It was Ranger Suarez. Yeah. Came up and pitched in the regular season for them last year. Right. I mean, that, I mean, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Rangers, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he got a couple no. of starts at the major league level last year. Okay. Why? Like, let's let's try it. Let's let's see what happens if, if you go with with a guy who. People kind of thought, you know, and I don't know, maybe a little bit of the shine fell off of his star a little bit down there. I don't know. But three years ago, his name was coming up as a guy that, you know, hey, could be a middle of the rotation kind of guy. Right, for
1: and he's another guy that hasn't had a good spring. And I think this kind of circles back to the original question that I sort of asked. Like, how much stock do you put in what you get out of these guys in spring training? Like, when you look at the statistics and you say, okay, like – well, Ranger Suarez has a nine ERA and he has a two WHIP, and opponents no. are th- three thirteen off of him. He's pitched four innings, and it's only been in two appearances. So, like, I don't want to I don't want to bury a guy, but at the same time, like, he hasn't really been uh, overwhelming in, in any capacity, whether it be during his stint in the major leagues last season or what we've seen from him this spring. And that's what I'm having a hard time with right now. Like, the Phillies have been okay in spring training. It's not like that they've been some train wreck of a team. No,
0: what are they, like 10, not ten and 9 or 9 yeah, and 5? like, they're, they're hovering bad, right around 500 yeah. at this point.
1: And so it's not like, oh, my God, you know, this is a mess. But I, I guess I just haven't been overly impressed by certain guys. And there were certain pitchers especially that I was really looking to kind of – I don't know, quell my fears a little bit, and that hasn't happened at this point. And so while I'm not a Dallas Keuchel guy, and and while he certainly scares me and I think that there are a ton of red flags with him, I also don't think he fits at Citizens Bank Park. I don't think that he fits with the left side of the Phillies' defense. I, I don't think Gene Segura is a plus defensive shortstop. Um, I have concerns about Michael Franco's defense at third, and I do think Andrew McCutcheon will be a good defensive left fielder, but Dallas Keuchel gives up a ton of pool contact. I don't think that that plays to the strength of the Phillies' defense. I, I, to me that's not a, a, a move that i want to make even it i mean unless it just becomes a one year deal for you know 13 million dollars but the other concern about Dallas Keuchel is that he will limit he will handicap your ability to add at the trade deadline i expect the phillies to be a team that's in contention come july and i would like them to be able to take on that salary without going to the you know the luxury tax and if you go out and you sign Dallas Keuchel and it's a Fifteen twenty million, $20 million a year deal, whether it's for one or two years, even if you, you shorten the term of it, I think that that becomes problematic and it will severely strain what the Phillies are able to do once they assess their needs in the middle of the summer. So for for that reason, not only do I not love Dallas Keuchel, I, I also don't like the idea of, of Constricting myself in terms of my financial means. Once we get into this thing, I don't want Dallas Keichel. What I want is one of these guys to step up and, and say this is my job, and I'm not giving it up.
0: Yeah, I, you know, and you kind of hope that you kind of hope Pavetta becomes a two. That's what I'm. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, and
1: I think that that's his ceiling. But again, I, I we're at a point now where. We're sort of wishing and hoping, and
0: well, we there are. are numbers to, are to suggest. The yeah, the Phillies I mean, are and wishing they, and hoping too.
1: There <laughs> are numbers to suggest that that that's very well that that very well may happen. But it, it is it's concerning when you look at what the Mets have, you know, with their starting rotation. You, you tried out Cindergard, you tried out the Grom. You look at what the, the Nationals have with Corbin and Scherzer. And uh, Strasbourg, and you look at what the Braves were a year ago, and, and now you add a little bit of experience to that mix with a couple really good young arms that haven't made a major league impact yet, and then you look at where the Phillies are, and you go, okay, like I could see why they they may not be the team to be this year.
0: Yeah, no, you're. Uh, th- I think you're right on. The Phillies, if I had to rank the starting pitching rotations in the National League East, they're fourth. It's not even close. They're a, They're a. They're a distant fourth in yeah, my mind. Yeah, I mean, mind. the
1: Nationals are one. Um, well, maybe I, I even the say, Mets.
0: I mean, I don't know. I mean, DeGrom, Sindergaard. What's his name? Uh, Zach Wheeler. Uh, Steven Matz. I mean, Steven Matz
1: stinks, though. Well, like, he sucks. He's their four. Yeah, I, I don't believe in him at all. I think he's he's just a guy that kind of got mixed into that hype train from a couple of years ago yeah. with the guys that were actually producing. But, yeah, point taken. I mean, they're they're – top end of the rotation is, is absurd. And then the Nationals go three deep, even though I don't love Stroudsburg, personally. Um, but then you get to the Braves, and, you know, the the Braves, I think, the only thing is they're probably a little bit better than we or people around baseball give them credit for. Like, the names aren't as... You see, who's my, who's the opposing starting pitcher tonight? And you look at Mike fulton and he's great. He's a really good pitcher, but... You go, yeah, whatever. You know, yeah, like, he's, we're he's not got, there he's
0: yet. He's also got shoulder issues, so that that could be an issue. Um, yeah, they, they yeah. don't think they're saying that they don't think it's a big deal, but he's out through the first three weeks of the season. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> you never know with those things, right? And there's, uh,
1: you know, I think that we all expect the progress to be linear with that team. You know, you have a lot of young studs there. It's a it's a really good team. So because they did what they did year a year ago when they were young, add a year of experience onto that. They're going to continue to, you know, an upward trajectory. It's not always the case. It's not always that simple. I mean, guys do get figured out. Teams start to have a, an idea of how to approach these hitters. Uh, do I think that Ronald Aquino could be the MVP of the National League this year? Yeah, I do think yeah. it's possible. But is there a potential for, you know, I don't want to call it the sophomore slump, but mild regression? Sure. Yeah. So I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, it's not that I'm I'm out on the Phillies. I, it, I certainly think they can make the postseason. I like everything that they've done, but this definitely feels like a work in progress. And and hopefully, hopefully they swing the bats well enough that it kind of offsets some of the concerns that we have on the pitching side of things.
0: Speaking of bats, what's uh, well, in your mind, you know, there's two. I guess there's two camp battles. Um, for the starting lineup that are kind of taking place, although I think I know how they're going to play out, um, and then there's the, the probably the, the 25th man on the roster, the last bench spot. Um, if you want, you know, I don't know if you want to say it's the 25th man. I mean, I guess the eighth reliever could be the 25th man, however you want to look at it. But um, the last bench spot. Um, so I wanted to talk about those those three things: center field, third base, and the and the end of the bench. How do you how do you think it plays out, Bob?
1: Let's start at third base because I think that's probably the most important issue or maybe the most pressing issue to figure out at this point. Um, third base kind of comes down to Mike Alfranco and Scott Kingery, right? Yep. Uh, I think it's Mike Alfranco. I'd be stunned if he does not win the opening day job. Where are you at on that?
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I mean, not, uh, more for the fact that Kingery hasn't done anything in in spring. Not that Franco has. But I'm Kingery, sort of
1: comforted by that, the fact that Carey yeah. hasn't done much in spring training, because I you talk about guys in their performance in March not mattering once the season starts. I think looking yeah. no further than Scott Carey's 2018 Grapefruit League stats, right? Like I think that that's a pretty good indicator. Listen, you know, I've I've um, felt a little bit spurned by Mike Alfranco when he came up in 2014 uh, the first time and he got his little cup of coffee. I was like, you know, like I I think that this is the next big thing. He struggled when he first came up. He only played 16 games. But when he came up, and I guess it was, what, May or June of 2015, and he played uh, that series in Yankee Stadium, right, and he went off. And it was just like, this is the next great Phillies third baseman. It's Mike Schmidt. It's Scott Rowland. It's Mike Alfranco. And it just didn't materialize after that 2015 season. But I look at it. He's going to be 26 this season. He had a 780 o- uh, OPS a year ago. And I just say, like, I'm not ready to punt on what Mike Alfranco could possibly be. And no. not only that, he may frustrate the hell out of you. When, when his turn in the lineup came up uh, for over you know the last two seasons, you said, like, he's the guy. He has to do it. That's one thing but now you slot Michael Franco down 7-8 and you let him do his thing down there with really no pressure at all when you consider what the Phillies have hitting in front of him it's a different story
0: yeah i agree
1: so i'm i'm kind of expecting uh, i don't i shouldn't say i'm expecting but i'm kind of I'm bullish on Mike Franco. I like the idea of him hitting late in the lineup, not a lot of pressure. I think that that 780, those, you, that OPS, certainly if he can replicate that this season, I'd be up on that. But the things that frustrated me about Mike Franco in the 3 or 4 hole may not frustrate me quite as much when he's your arguably 8th best hitter in the lineup.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, um, I, I think
1: he's the guy there because I don't think Scott Kingry's a natural third baseman by design. I still think he's a second baseman. I know the Phillies liked him at shortstop a year ago, and he acquitted himself nicely in the second half of the season, but I think that we sort of at this point understand he's going to play in the middle. I don't think that he's a third baseman. I don't think that his bat plays at third base, um, and, and what he does well offensively even I don't think plays well at third base.
0: No, I, I agree. I think that I think Kingery's your first guy on the bench. Um because he's a utility guy. I think he's going to play some second, some short, some third, maybe a little bit of you know spell a guy in the outfield one day or whatever. Yeah, he got but, a,
1: a start in center field, I believe, uh, earlier this week. So Well, I mean, and I think
0: that they – because that's the one position they don't have any depth.
1: Sure <laughs> I, they do. They have Aaron Altair. I mean uh.
0: – <laughs> I mean, that's what it would be – I mean, no. all right, so center field's is the other spot, and we assume it's going to be O'Double who hasn't even – had in a bat in spring training yet, but um, I yeah, think he's Saturday, due back Saturday, Saturday yes. is his first game, and you know, I, and they say that that's enough time to get him ready for start of the season. I guess I mean it's we're two weeks away from opening day. Um,
1: Can I just give you a quick reminder on Oduble Herrera before we just blow through this conversation? Yeah, go ahead. May nineteenth of last season, three sixty batting average, second in major league baseball behind only Mookie Betts, four twenty six weighted on base average, ninth. 996 OPS 10th in Major League Baseball 429 on base percentage 7th struck out in only 15.3 percent of his at-bats That was on May 20th the morning of From there on out from May 20th through the end of the season he hit 216 630 OPS 271 weighted on base average 264 on base percentage and he struck out in 22.6 percent of his at-bats he was awful. Yep. Do you have any? And I know I'm putting you on the spot because we didn't talk about this at all, but do you have any explanation as to what the hell happened to Odubo Herrera after the 40th game last season because for one quarter of the season, he was arguably the
0: NL MVP. No, I don't have a good explanation, but I, you know how baseball is, Bob. It it can get to your it can get to your head, right? I mean very little thing, I mean it's you, you, you know sometimes guys um struggle because they adjust too much, they tinker too much, some guys struggle because they don't tinker at all right i mean and for every player, it's different, and so I'm not sure where where it fell in the mental game for Oduble Herrera, but it obviously was not there uh, it, there was something was missing, and I have a feeling in all honesty that it was there before the season began. And I know that there's been stories that have come out that said it was uh, he wasn't in great shape, and you know he didn't remember he wasn't in the lineup opening day. Um, so I think that I think that that kind of maybe was what spurned him on to play as well as he did for the first month, six weeks of the season. Like I, I think that you know being left out of the lineup was you know that pissed him off to the point where he's going to be like, all right, you don't want to play me opening day, screw you. Here's what I'm going to do, and he went out and did it. And then he got into one he's a streaky hitter. we know this, this isn't nothing new, and he got into one of the slumps and just never could get out of it and that was what you know if I'm trying to come up with some kind of you know educated guess on what went wrong, I think that that's just really it, and I think that the, the mental part of the game got to him because it wasn't just at the plate, he was not good defensively either he from the year before he was a gold glove candidate. And then in twenty, and that was in twenty seventeen, in center field. Twenty eighteen, he was terrible yeah. in center field, and I think again, it was just a lot of things that went awry for him all at once and it's you know you get into that rabbit hole man it's hard to dig your way back out
1: so i know we looked at this and we said you know who's going to win the center field battle i I don't look at it as a battle i think that hudubo herrera is your starting center fielder and and whether he starts game one because gabe kapler likes or doesn't like the matchups i don't know like a season ago or if he's going to try to send a message but he's your everyday center fielder when the season starts roman quinn's going to start the season again hurt Uh, he'll be on the injured list it looks like at this point he's not going to get back some of the Phillies that have been injured this spring look like they're on track to you know be on the opening day roster Uh, Quinn does not and I, I have a hard time with it because you can't mention Roman Quinn without injuries it just it's like almost reflexive at this point There are a couple things with Roman Quinn, and and let's just go through the injuries real quick. He's had an oblique injury, he's had a quad injury, an elbow injury, Achilles, wrist, and finger, and he's 26 years old, or he will be 26 years old this season. I mean, it's just an absolutely crazy amount of injuries for a guy that age to sustain, a very athletic guy to boot. So it, it 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 baffles me. The thing is, if he's on the field, I like his game. Obviously, I like the speed. I like his ability to cover gap to gap, especially when you consider you know, Bryce Harper and right field I think will be a functional outfielder. I think a product of his his terrible defensive run save mark a season ago, and we had talked about this a few episodes ago, was the fact that he spent 60-plus games in center field. I think that that created some discomfort for him. You stick him in right field every day. I don't think that Bryce Harper, who historically has kind of been an average fielder, won't be a complete liability for the Phillies. But I like the idea of Roman Quinn's defense out in center field. It's it's significantly better than Odubel Herrera's. The issue that I have with Roman Quinn when he played last season for the Phillies is that he struck out too much i mean he was striking out about 17 percent of the time in triple a last season and he hit 296 there and he comes up and then that number sort of jumps into like the low 20s like he's striking out like 23 24 percent of the time and that's the difference between him being a 296 hitter and a 260 hitter which mm-hmm. is what he was with the phillies a year ago so to me like you have to put the ball he is not that he's ben revere like he's a better hitter than ben revere was but like, he has to put the ball in play, and if you're striking out 23 25% of the time and you have Roman Quinn's skill set, you're doing yourself a disservice, and you're certainly you're not going to be the efficient or as an effective offensive player as that he, as he could possibly could be. And, and so that's my problem with Roman Quinn, and I'll be interested to see when he finally does get on the field how he performs. The other what? thing that you have to kind of keep in mind is that he, he has no more options. So when he comes off this injured list, what do they do with him?
0: Yeah, I mean that's a good point. I, I didn't mean, even. Th- I, yeah,
1: you know, so he's he's out of options, and then Aaron Altair is out of options, and we can, nope. if you want to talk about Aaron Altair, we can. I mean, he struck out thirty two percent of the time last year. He had a batting average of balls in play at two forty seven. He's, I mean, he sucked last year. Six twenty eight <laughs> OPS after a eight fifty six OPS in twenty seventeen. I'm out on Aaron Altair. He, you know, like they say, looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane. Yeah, that's Aaron Altair. Like, yeah. if he goes somewhere else and is a successful fourth outfielder, good on him. Because he seems like an awesome guy. I, I just, I'm okay with rolling the dice and saying, I'm good. He's out of options as well. There's a chance that he's going to be on the opening day roster, but I, I don't know, man.
0: Yeah, well, let me, let me, before we get into that, the bench, let me just say, we we'll want go back to Roman Quinn for a second. You know what I found most interesting about him last year? When he, when he bats. All right, obviously, you know um, he's a switch hitter. So his OPS was better against lefties than righties, significantly better against lefties than righties. Um, so you sit there and say, well, that must mean he's a better hitter right-handed than he is left-handed. Although I'll tell you this, his on-base was better as a left-handed hitter. He looks at more pitches. He actually had 10 walks batting left-handed and zero batting right-handed. That's interesting. But his home runs and he had uh, seven extra base hits right-handed, five left-handed, but no homers left-handed. Hmm. So it tells you he's got more power in his right-handed swing, but he's a lot more patient at the plate as a left-handed hitter. So just you know, for what it's worth, I think that's an interesting thing. And if that's the case, if, if really is, and you and you need him to be a guy that gets on base for you, and that because ultimately that's what his you know where his best skill set is because you want his, you know, want him on base because he can run. The fact that he's a better on base guy, left-handed, tells me that he doesn't fit as well. When you look at the fact that you got Harper, who's a lefty, and Herrera, who's a lefty, unless you're going to sit there and say, "Well, we'll occasionally give uh, Andrew McCutcheon a, a game off against a tough right-handed hitter," so I, I don't, I'm not certain that Roman Quinn fits in this outfield right now. Even if so, you know when you say he's out of options, the things that you need him to do, it would be better if it was the other way around. If right. he was a switch hitter and was better at getting on base as a right-handed a hitter, yeah, I think that would be a better. Then okay, fine. Then maybe he is your extra outfielder. But right now, with the way your outfield is set up, I'm not certain that I'm not certain that he has that value. So I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe Roman Quinn's a guy that gets that gets moved here before the end of. Uh, before the end of spring training.
1: Well, speaking of guys that may get moved before the end of spring training, I think we have to talk about Nick Williams. Uh, those of you yeah. that have listened to this show now for basically a year know that that I'm pro-Nick Williams. I mean, I kind of just look at the bottom line, and over those first two seasons, 720 at-bats, the guy has a 776 OPS, right? And like that plays in the major leagues, even for a corner outfielder, you know, where the, the offense is almost expected. He's a major league hitter, and he goes into his age 25 season. To me, there are some good things with his game, and there are certainly some, some things that give you pause. And a year ago, he has a three twenty-four on base percentage, right? And I don't think that that fits the profile of what the Phillies want in a hitter. Um, certainly not an ideal number. The thing I look at, and I guess I, I struggle with it, he comes up in 17 and he has a 375 batting average of balls in play. Last year that dropped all the way down to 312. So was the 375 mark in 17 a product of just exceptional luck? And, or was that more in, in line with what he truly is? or was the 312 number from a season ago more in line with what he truly is. And and that's what I can't figure out because that explains the dip in production a season ago. I mean, that's why he hit what he did last year. The other thing that I look at is that he hit 232 with a 625 OPS against left-handed pitching last season. So, he's an ideal platoon player based on those splits. But when you have Andrew McCutcheon in left field, who you presume will probably start 150 games this year, barring injury, and certainly Bryce Harper in right field, who you you don't plan to take out of the lineup, I don't think, at any point, and Nick Williams can't play center field, that's why, to me, he's certainly one of the 25 most talented guys on this team and and one of the most talented hitters on the team. I just don't know that he has any place on it, uh, the way that they're currently constructed. The other thing to keep in mind, speaking of options, is that Nick Williams does have an option. They could send him to the minor leagues to start the season, though I would feel bad for him in that scenario.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it, the only thing I can say to that is, yeah, it sucks for Nick Williams if that's the case, but that's that's the business, right? And if the Phillies look, are looking at it and saying, we we feel like, it, he's a go- a really 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 good insurance policy in case something happens to Harper or or uh, McCutchen then then you do it then you send him to the minors and and you and you know it sucks for him but you know he's still he's still young enough that you know he can get back to the majors and and still be you know productive and 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 provide you know good offense for the team i mean Harper's gotten hurt a couple times in the last 3 years so i mean it, it it's it's realistic that that's a possibility that said, if you feel like you need a, a pitching upgrade, he's trade, you know primary trade commodity number one.
1: Yeah, just so that's where I, I kind of I kind of don't know. I mean, what does Nick Williams realistically fetch you back in terms of trade value? Like can you get some type of solid number four starter for Nick Williams? Like, I don't think you can.
0: I'm not sure you can right so now. Then, like, what is, Bob? I'm yeah. not sure you can right now but that's why i'm saying maybe you utilize that option and you know play out the first couple months of the season see how things are going hey maybe he has to come up and play because somebody gets hurt who knows um but if not then you know he'll probably tear up triple a <laughs> right down there i mean he's cuz he's he he's a major league hitter he would probably tear up triple a and then as you get closer to july 31 might there be a guy who's, you know, a 2 3 starting pitcher that you sit there and say, oh, yeah, I would move Nick Williams for that?
1: Yeah, I mean, his zips projection this year 520 plate appearances. They got him hitting 256 with 21 homers and a 750 OPS, which I think, by the way, is right on if he had that many plate appearances. That's a usable part. The teams, I think, there are certain teams that would say like this is a guy that we would like to get on our roster.
0: Can I give you a team that really could use Nick Williams? Sure. And has a, a little bit of, of uh, pitching depth. How About the Cleveland Indians. I could see that. They have no outfielders.
1: Yeah, I could see that for sure.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, really, I mean, it, I, I don't, I don't know how else to to describe. Their outfield is so weak. I, it's so bad that I am telling you right now that I am, I am, I am. Buying myself time in this in this very conversation to get to their roster so that I can identify. <laughs> I, I,
1: I thought you were buying yourself time to, to kind of work out and maybe get on the roster by opening day. I thought that's yeah, no, sorry. Here like, Jesus, here is, is here are, are the bad? Cleveland
0: Indians. Here are the Cleveland Indians projected starting outfielders: Leonis Martin, Jake Bowers, Tyler Naquin. With that Jordan Luplo as the, as the fourth outfielder kind of could pl- platoon with Naquin. Right. I mean, seriously.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Can I, put right? my, uh, can I put my coaching hat on here real quick? Go ahead. I, I look at Nick Williams' swing, and it, it can be pretty at times, right? Like, I think he's got a pretty nice lefty swing. The thing that kills me when I look at his, his batted ball splits – his ground ball uh, ground ball percentage um, in in 2017 was 49%. It dropped to 43% last year. Yeah. Um, I'd actually like to see that number go even further down. Like his he's hitting like 30% of his balls in the air. I'd like to see that number get up to 35% because I think that he possesses the power and his swing path, like I know I don't want to get too technical here on people, but I think that he possesses the type of swing that would be beneficial to put the ball in the air more. And that's not for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that his swing profile plays itself and and lends itself to putting the ball in the air more. And I think that he could be a potential 30-homer guy if he does that. He grounds out way too much. Um, And if you really go back and you just look at his at-bats, and it's like I I think if we were in June right now and I said that, you would go – yeah, you know what? I watched him four times last week, and I agree with that. He just makes a lot of outs on ground balls, and I think that he would tremendously benefit by elevating the ball more consistently. Um, and he very well may. Like, This is a guy that I don't think is in his prime. I don't think that he has played his best baseball yet either. So it, that's the, the conundrum with Nick Williams because you go, this is a valuable part. There is a, is certainly he would be a good bench player for them, but he's going to rot on the bench. You want him to get the reps in case somebody gets hurt. Can you find a, a trade partner f- with a team that could use him like the Indians, which is a great suggestion by you? Well, he, he is, it's, a, it's a very puzzling situation with him.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. So,
1: let me ask you straight up. I mean, uh, they're going to go with a four-man bench. That's been pretty much documented at this point. Who's the yeah. four-man bench? I, I think that we have to say Andrew Knapp is the backup catcher.
0: Yeah, it looks like I mean, it, it looks like he's going to beat out Drew Butera for that backup job. Uh, he's Knapp's had a pretty good spring training so far. Um, Kingery. Uh-huh. Right? uh Mhm. Right?
1: Let's assume that Quinn is hurt and, and that they don't have to make a decision on him yet.
0: Right. Um and this is where it gets interesting, because uh, if I'm, if you say to me, Anthony, who do you pick between Nick Williams and Aaron Altair? I pick Nick Williams. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but again, the option is, but a the options part of it. there, sure. and
0: or he's a potential trade guy. Um, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do something here that I don't normally do. Normally, I and mean, I've said this at the beginning, I I I try to be Mr. Objective. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put on a fan hat for a second, and it's only because I have a family connection here. But boy, Phil Gosselin is having a hell of a spring training for the Phillies, and his brother Matt plays on my softball team. <laughs>
1: How does he swing the bat? How does Matt swing it?
0: That's in softball. He's yeah, pretty good. He's, pretty he's an good. athlete. Yeah. He was a, he was a really good bas- Matty was a good really good basketball yeah, player. That stuff tends so Phil, to be hereditary. So you know, yeah, well, Phil's the younger the brother. Oh. Yeah, Phil's, Phil's a younger brother. But, I mean, you know, he's had a really nice spring for the Phillies. He's, you know, versatile, can play infield or outfield. Um, right-handed bat as opposed to left. Um, so that helps. Um so yeah, like you know, I, for those I of you that, that haven't
1: been following Phil Gosselin this spring, uh, he's hitting four oh seven with a 1.189 OPS. He's eleven for twenty seven. With a he's play. played a lot. He's yeah. played a lot. He's got so a lot uh, of action. Sure. So
0: one thing you know, it's interesting. You know, when you when you see these guys get the non roster invites, right? I always say every year that watch those non roster invites. Usually, one of them makes the team. Sometimes it's more than one and I'm not talking about just position players, even pitchers, because those are guys that you can you know bring in, uh, it, it, you know, take a chance on them. If they impress you in camp, then you sit there and say, you know what, we're going to give them a major league contract. And if it doesn't work out, pff, then you let them go. No big deal. That's those NRI's are always guys who get you know those bench jobs. And I think that the Phillies have looked at a few guys like that this year. Sean Rodriguez hasn't done. Yeah, he's had dick. a tough spring. He's, he's had I, he a bad a, spring. <laughs> What, what he hasn't done that. Saucy. Yeah, he really hasn't. <laughs> um, uh, a, a guy, another guy who has done well so far is that um, Shane Robinson. Yeah. But he's old. Yeah. I mean, what is he, like 36, I think, 35, 36?
1: Yeah, he had a home run in the game I was at uh, earlier this spring. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, he's had a nice spring. But, I mean, he's, he's really a veteran I mean, at the end of the line there. So, I don't necessarily know how much he really put into that. Plus, it's not versatile. I mean, he can only play – corner outfield and first base right right um austin romine i mean he doesn't impress me i mean he hasn't he's been just okay in camp so like those are the guys that they've brought in and so you sit there and say well which which of these guys really has a shot and then you look and see who they're looking at who are they playing a lot in spring training giving a real opportunity to lane adams i guess is the other guy but he's not been much of anything either um and and the one guy who has stuck out again we still have two weeks to go his numbers could certainly fall off the table is but so far has been Phil Gosselin
1: so there are a few different things to consider when you look at how they may construct their bench though when I look at Aaron go okay he's out of options and he can play center field so that kind of gives him perhaps an inside track you do have to keep in mind that if they got jammed up in center field, you could move Andrew McCutch to center and, and you could survive that. And then you could slot Williams into left field. So that's one way to do it. And and that's something that we have to kind of look at. Here's what I kind of keep coming back to though. And I, I see that Phil Goslin's had a really good spring. I, I just don't know how much you look at the current performance versus what you've seen in recent seasons. And the only knock that I can give you, looking at what he's done, at least at the major league level, and I'll I'll be honest with you, I don't have his minor stats in front of me. Over the last two seasons, he has 72 at bats uh, at the major league level, and he has three extra base hits. And yeah. he hit 146 in 2017, and he hit 125 last year in 20 games with Cincy. Small sample size, um, you know, and, and I don't, I certainly wouldn't write him off for that reason, but. You know, I just I don't know. I just don't know what the Phillies are going to value most here. Is it going to be versatility? Is it a specific skill set? Is it just the simple fact that they don't want to part with a guy that's um, out of options? Like, What is the thing that they're going to prioritize? So we know that it's going to be Nap. We know that it's going to be Kingery. And then after that, I, I don't know. Like, If you forced me to guess right now, I would say that they're probably going to carry those two outfielders being Altair and Williams. But, but maybe not. It really, gives
0: you, it really gives you a lot less versatility.
1: It, it sure does. And so the idea of, of putting a guy like Goslin who can play the infield, play the middle infield, you know, probably stick in a corner outfield spot, likely left field really if we're being honest, I, I think that that is an option to consider. I just don't know. I mean, if he goes nuts over the next two weeks, is that going to be enough to displace conventional wisdom? And so I, I think that this team is is pretty – Solid and what their 25-man roster is going to look like come opening day But this is one thing that last bench spot where it looks obvious But it it may be more wide open than it seems
0: Let me ask you this Is there a backup first baseman on this team?
1: Maybe yeah I think that there are a couple different ways that you can do this honestly I think that Michael Franco can can slot in and play first base if you need him to for a day And that's where you play Kingery at third um, I think if you really had to, you could probably put Nap there. Uh, I think they'd be reluctant to put Harper at first base, but I think that Nap and Franco, if this is the bench that you're coming in with, and this is this is the chance that you have to take when you go with a four man bench. There's no obvious backup first baseman here, and and rosters historically, you could point to the guy. There's a there's a Ricky Jordan to your John Crook. How do you like that? Was that yeah, good? That was good. pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, so. Th- there's usually an obvious guy to do it. I think that they're going to have to be a little bit more flexible, and obviously that's a, a trait that Gabe Kapler values. So I think that those would be your two guys. If not Hoskins, it would probably well, be Knapp and Franco.
0: The only reason I said that is because Gosselin's played first base at the major league, yeah. major league level too. Just yeah. just, so, just, I mean, again, just throw that, it out there. And
1: that is, like I said, if, if the guy's going to hit 400 at, you know, over the next <laughs> two weeks, if he's going to continue to do this, he yeah. may force the issue.
0: Yeah, he may um you know guy here's another guy that's actually had a nice spring and, you know, it's gotten some media coverage and you know maybe sneaks into this conversation I don't know. Um I'm not a huge believer in him but he's had a nice spring is Dylan Cousins.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't believe in him at all. Well, I think uh, he's, I
0: think he's got a big hole in his swing, right? Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, I I just I, I hate the swing. There's so many gaps in it. He yeah. is he is a physical specimen. The strength and the power is elite. Like, if he could fix the holes in that swing, uh, he legitimately could be a 40 home run guy in the major leagues. He has that type of
0: power, but... So, well, let me ask you this. And, and this, is, this is I think this is a fair question. If he just got a little bit more selective at the plate, couldn't he be Joey Gallo? <clears throat> maybe. So I'm just saying I mean Gallo Gallo is uh, Gallo's on base is better than than almost every 206 hitter right. in the history of the game because he's got a good eye and then he hits the ball, you know, a ton and hits 40 home runs. But he hit 206. Right? I mean yeah. if last year but he hit 40 home runs. Um and he gets and he does get on base you know pretty well I, I i gotta i gotta find with his exact op- on base percentage i'm pulling it up here real quick uh last year his on base percentage was 312 for a 206 hitter the year before he was a two, he hit 209 his on base was 333 guy walks right but he also strikes out 200 times a year
1: yeah he, I mean, how, um. i don't know is there value in that he got I, off I, to like a crazy a crazy start Uh, This spring, he had a game uh, on February 28th where he was uh, two for two. He scored three runs. He had five total bases, hit a homer, three RBIs, and then he walked twice. And at that point, his OPS had actually uh, surged up uh, well over 2.0, right? Like that's where he was at. Like the on-base percentage was like 909 five games into the spring. From March 1st to March 11th, he had 19 at-bats, and he only had two hits, so he had a 2-for-19 spell, and in that time he had, let's see, let's count them up here, three, five, six, eight, nine, nine 9 strikeouts and 19 at-bats. So he reverted right back into the same player that we were accustomed to seeing over the past two seasons, three seasons, even down in the minor leagues. He had a nice game on the 14th. He had a... Uh, he had uh, two hits and four bats, uh, hit a homer. And, and so, like, he's had an okay spring, but, like, that's where I go. Like, he literally played a week and a half, and he couldn't make contact, and he couldn't get the first base. So he was, he's really kind of been all or nothing so far this spring. Again, like if the Phillies were in a different spot and they were in more of a developmental stage, and I think a lot of this has to do with what the Phillies' expectations are. If the Phillies were a team that was slated to win 70 games this season, I'd say like, well, what the hell, let's stick it out, put Dylan Cousins on the bench and see what he can do. But if like this is a team that we're talking about being a legitimate contender, then I don't want to see Dylan Cousins on the bench because I just don't think he can do it okay is that That's is fair? that fair like no it's I'm, certainly it's certainly fair I, I'm like I, he's 24 years old the guy's six foot six weighs 240 pounds he's a monster like i get all that i just don't i don't think he's the guy for this team
0: yeah no i don't think you're, i don't think you're wrong bob i i don't but God, i'm, I'm would, trying to it would
1: be great if he if he could have figured it out or if he does figure it out and yeah, like I, it more
0: than i do I, i'm just trying to i'm trying to not put my own bias onto it i'm trying to think like Uh, I'll
1: tell you what I will say this for Dylan Cousins I'd rather Dylan Cousins be on this opening day roster warts and all than Aaron Altair I agree so I agree there's that I just I think I'll be annoyed I was annoyed that Aaron Altair existed on the major league roster as long as he did a year ago and I think I'm going to be equally annoyed if he is on this team opening day
0: yeah yeah all right well before we uh wrap things up let's we got we got to discuss What's the what the happenings around the majors, Bob? Okay. And uh, the big story is that there are rule changes coming, and I know you got I know you got a lot of stuff on this. Um, uh, there's some little tweaks that I think are coming here this season. Nothing that's actually going to change, you know, on field uh, stuff. But it looks like starting twenty starting next year, twenty twenty, um, there's going to be some changes to the way the game is played. Um. So, the, what's what's happening this year? What's been agreed upon? Uh, I guess the most the most interesting and most important thing. The other stuff is ties into the All Star game, but um, the most important thing is there's will no there will no longer be a not um a uh, waiver trade deadline in August. So uh, there's only one trade deadline, July thirty first, and that's it. And then if you don't make the trade, then yeah, you're done. You can't. Let me trade give you my reaction to that
1: because I, I looked at this and I had two immediate takes on this or two immediate assessments and then tell me what I'm not seeing on this. Okay. So I go, okay, like I'm sure that players kind of want the stability and and they survive the July 31st trade deadline and, and then they kind of have to wait it out again the entire month of August in a lot of cases. And so players have to uproot their families. They're on edge as they're performing. I'm sure that that's not a, an incredibly enjoyable time for them. So I could see why the union would want to eliminate that and just make it one deadline. From a fan perspective, I think it, it builds intrigue because the July trade deadline becomes even more important and more of an all-or-nothing proposition than it previously was. Yeah. So that's good for the fans, and I think that July will be very interesting and, and the fans will be dialed into that. And so that's great, and it's good for the players because they get a little bit more stability and certainty. Uh, in the course of their season, which I'm sure that the travel grind and the family strain is is rough enough as it is, so those are the positives. Are there any players right now going like, well, damn, I kind of like the uh, <laughs> the non, you know, I kind of like the waiver trade deadline. Like it got me the hell out of a bad situation, then I snuck onto a squad and ended up winning a championship. Yeah,
0: no, I, I I think that there, I think that there's pros and cons to it for everybody. Um, you know, there are teams that are now going to have to make a decision, you know, a month earlier. Yeah, like you, you can't
1: just like dip your toe in now. You yeah, got to They, they got it des- out.
0: They got to decide if are they a contender or are they, you know, not. So are they going to buy or sell at July thirty first? You can't kind of just sit there and say, well, let's just let's play it out another couple weeks and see what happens. Right. <laughs> you know, can't can't do that. Like I mean, you know, the Phillies last year, for example, right? Um, you know, they were they they made trades in August as well because they kind of felt they were in it, but you know, would they have? You know, what, I don't know would they have been would they have been done more on July 31st than sure. they did? You know, would they have given up on a prospect that maybe they held on to because they said, well, we can pick up players and in, in waiver trade deadline to help this team, in, you know, in the waiver period to help this team. I don't know. I think that I think that it's going to be a really interesting change, and, and I think you're gonna there's going to be a real delineation between who's in and who's out. And it's going to be in July, and you know, and then it's they're going to be. I think there's going to be more interesting races, but with less teams involved.
1: So let's talk about the other change that we're going to see this season, uh, or you know, I don't even want to say change, but a little wrinkle that's added in. So they're going to uh, give the winner of the home run derby a million dollars. Now, um, mm-hmm. I know that most fans probably look at that and they say, "Well, these guys are already millionaires as it is. What the hell's one million dollars?" I guess if I'm looking at this from the optimistic viewpoint, I would say that perhaps this incentivizes players that were possibly reluctant to participate before to perhaps now participate in the home run derby. Is that a stretch? I mean, that's the only thing I can really look at and say like, well, that's why this may be relevant to the average fan.
0: No, I think that, I think that it's a good thing for the, for the league because it's a it's certainly a carrot to dangle to the bigger name players and i think it's a way for the league to kind of market their big name players um you know yeah harper did it last year because it was in washington but would he have done it would he have gone to the home run derby last year if it was in um seattle yeah or or you know even tampa right um, like, would you go? I don't know. I I, I don't know the. I don't necessarily think I could, I could sit there and say yes. Right. So I think it incentivizes the better, bigger name players to participate. I guess what's what's really going to be interesting. The way I look at it is what's really going to be interesting is what if you have more than eight players who want to take part now, <laughs> yeah. like. You know, you got a shot at a million bucks if you hit some home runs, and it's like, well, I want to be part of that. Yeah. So, you know, who picks? Like, does the league decide what eight players? And then, you know, if you're the ninth guy, you're like, well, shoot, they didn't yeah, give me what, a shot. They didn't yeah. give me a chance to win a million bucks. That's That sucks. And does the agent come out and say something? Like, we wanted to be part of it, but the league didn't let us be part of it. Yeah, you know? so you
1: agree with me then. I think that the 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 perk of this is that it will incentivize participation and, and perhaps make for a better event, you know, with better names.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, no, I mean, but that's but my point is, is that I think it could it could result in a negative.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean,
0: the fans are going to win no matter what. It's a win for the fans because you get to enjoy the bigger names in the home run derby. But I think that there could be some kind of backlash on that a little bit.
1: How do you feel about the All Star Game election? Because to me, this is a complete gimmick. I know that Major League Baseball views this as a way to market its players. You're going to take your top vote getters. And you are going to put them up against one another, and they're going to have an election and, and get to market their personalities and make America vote for them. This yeah. feels like bullshit. This just feels well, like it, a bunch of bullshit to me. It I, is. I, Bob, I don't care about this at all. It,
0: it is. It is. But the reason it is is because all star games suck, right. and baseballs is the best of the four and uh, of the four majors in the in in North America. Um, it's the best because it's the closest to reality. Okay. Um, in that vein, every every league is trying to find some way to make their All Star game better. When I was growing up, the All Star game was you just picked the best players in each league and they played a game against each other. I used to love the All Star game when I was twelve years old. Right? Yeah, I, mean, I really right. did. But then, I mean, in the last decade, think of all the all the things that they've tried. They've tried. Teams of international players against teams of American players. They've tried. Um, let's have a draft. They've tried all kinds of different machinations, and nothing works. Now, the only thing had, I'll
1: say about this is that I don't think it alters the product. I don't think it's really going to the end alter the intrigue uh, toward no. the game. I, I do. Find it, I guess, quasi encouraging. I think it's an omission for Major League Baseball that they don't do a good enough job of marketing their their players. I think that the NFL, you know, excels at this. I think that certainly the NBA, I think, is is phenomenal at it, whereas Major League Baseball is not. And so I think, at the very least, though, I don't really think the product is going to be more intriguing this year. I do think it's an admission that we have to start trying to be creative about how to market our talent and personalities.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the one thing that I will say is is that the the reason that the NBA and the NFL dominate in this country is not necessarily because the product is good. I mean, the product is what the product is. And there, will, there are people who will argue with you that the game – And I would maybe be one of these curmudgeonly older guys who would tell you that the game has fallen off, and I think that they've fallen off in all four sports. um, Whether it's because uh, I don't know, I I think it's, it's, I I honestly believe it starts at the youth level, and you know, guys aren't, kids aren't taught to play the right way, and and certain things happen. But whatever, Um, that's a different conversation. But the point is, is that the NBA and the NFL, they market the hell out of their stars, and they really know how to get people interested in those players and that's what works so even if you're watching a football game and you're like oh man this is a terrible football game you're going to be, in you're still going to be stick with it and be intrigued by it because there. Because they're,
1: Odell Beckham Jr. is punching a kicking net on the sideline, right? Right, exactly.
0: <laughs> I mean, but you know, and and then and then a team trades for him, and you know, and and uh, now all of a sudden the Cleveland Browns are a Super Bowl favorite, right? I mean, come on now. Yeah. Um. But, that, but that's it. I mean, you're 100 percent correct, and then the same thing with the NBA. How many NBA players are on Instagram and like trolling each other and saying stuff back and forth? And we all talk about it and we write about it. And this is oh my god, this is the greatest thing ever. Does that necessarily mean that they're better players than they were 15 years ago? Uh, not necessarily. But yeah, at the same- I would argue that the Phillies have the one
1: guy that seems to kind of understand how to do this now. You know, yeah. you see what Bryce Harper did this offseason season with the liking uh, the Phillies pictures and and saying to Reese Hoskins, "Suck, kid," and and yeah. following them. And then you know you had the whole thing with the it's it's always sunny in Philadelphia with uh, yeah. Bryce Harper the other day, like. He seems to be the one guy that sort of gets how this works. And yeah, I think I, that I, if Major League Baseball could maybe distribute that, that type of like, Yeah. keep that same energy as the kids yeah, say yeah. throughout the rest of the league, that would be extraordinarily beneficial.
0: Yeah, baseball and hockey don't do it. They yeah. just don't. And 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 that's why they lag behind NFL and NBA. It's it, it to me that's a that's a, that is the major difference between those sports. If if baseball treated its players the way that football and basketball treats their players, as far as marketing, I think baseball would be just as big as those two sports in this country.
1: Now, uh, some of the issues that exist between the union and Major League Baseball—they, uh, you know, I know the union kind of would like to see the luxury tax go away because it discourages spending, um, right? Certainly the roster manipulation stuff is insane. We saw that with Chris Bryan a couple years ago. The Seattle Mariners actually may have just done this with J.P. Crawford, though I would argue that J.P. Crawford isn't a good baseball player, and that's why he just got optioned to the minor leagues and sent out of camp yesterday. But a lot of people think that it has something to do with service time issues with uh, J.P. Crawford. Um, You're going to see this with uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., um, you know these are these are issues that major league baseball is is dealing with and the players union is certainly upset about it so these are all going to be things that will be explored and talked about in this in this forthcoming negotiation in the new collective bargaining the thing that's encouraging here we had talked about it previously after 2021 we could see a prolonged work stoppage the fact that this dialogue is going to start now in 2019 though the sides are, are certainly far apart, it would lead me to believe that perhaps there could be enough progress made where we could avoid a prolonged delay, and we don't see the game disappear for a year, you know. And, and that would be my hope in light of what we've seen.
0: Yeah, and I think that I think that the good thing with this is that they recognize that they are so far apart on a lot of this stuff that they have to start talking now. Yeah. that's that's the only positive. But I, I'll tell you, as someone who used to negotiate union contracts for a union. Um, <laughs> Just because you start early doesn't doesn't mean anything. Yeah, and it, it kind of
1: came out, and this was spun positively yeah. today that like, hey, the two sides they're they're going to start talking, and and maybe this will be a good thing, and it very well may be, but that does not mean that everyone's you know patting each other on the ass right now, and and it right. really kind of came out one of the big changes that we're going to see, and I think the one that you want to talk about the most, certainly it's the one I want to talk about, is the three batter minimum for relievers. That's going to start in 2020. And the way that the initial story broke was that, you know, it was Major League Baseball's idea, but the union was kind of cool with it. You know, we'll see how it goes. Well, they came out today after the story initially broke and they said we categorically deny that we approve this or want to see this happen. And they were pretty adamant and they were emphatic about it. But we're going to see this three batter minimum implemented in the 2020 season. I guess let me get your thoughts, because we talked a lot last season about Gabe Kapler, how he used his relievers, and, and really how a lot of different teams use their relief pitchers across the board. What are your thoughts on the ramifications of the three batter minimum? Because I have a few, and I think they're going to differ from you.
0: You might be surprised, Bob. But I'm, I'm okay with that rule. I really am. Um, and why? And, and it, well, okay, so I, I think it will get us back – more toward base the way baseball used to be played, um, and in the sense that if, if you go back and look before the you know the explosion of the bullpen revolution, right? Games would be your starter through six seven innings, right, and then the relief pitchers came in, maybe one reliever, maybe two, um, and that was pretty much it. Now every every I mean the last couple of years almost every box score has got five six pitchers per team and it's like oh my lord we only played nine innings how many pitchers do we need to freaking throw and then you wonder why games are going so long I mean that's the reason it's constant change constant 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 so if you make a pitcher go go out there and have to face three batters at, at a minimum um, I think that that's that's kind of getting it getting you back to hey, your pitchers need to be able to do more than one thing. And you can't just do your stupid-ass matchups. Just go out there and pitch, for God's sake. You're a pitcher. That's so what you're paid to do. You're paid millions of dollars to throw a ball past the batter. Go up there and do it. It doesn't matter if it's against a left-hander or a right-hander. It doesn't make a difference. Um, the one thing that I'll sit there and be a little bit – I can be a little negative about this, this decision is it inherently gives an advantage to the offense. Because now you can, the, it allows a manager to match up whatever hitters he wants against a pitcher, if if he wants to.
1: And some people are going to argue that the strategy is being taken out of the game because you can't go match up late. But this, it's not that the strategy has been been taken out of the game. It's that the strategy is just completely different now. The a lot of the strategy has to come when you're filling out the lineup card and and how you're going to construct your lineup. Who you're leaving on the bench and preparation for this scenario.
0: Right. Well, I think I think what this will do is I think this will force teams to use their starting pitcher maybe a little bit longer than they might have. Okay. And I'm not saying that they're going to use them seven eight innings now, but I'm thinking instead of pulling a guy after four because you're, the pitcher spots up in the sure. fifth inning, I think maybe that they'll that they'll pitch a fifth inning or maybe five if you if you know he's up in the sixth inning maybe five and then he goes to, becomes a sixth inning pitcher. But that's – so I think you're going to see starters pitch just a little bit more, and that's a good thing. So now let uh, me – Wasn't there only – in all honesty, wasn't there only three or four pitchers who cracked 200 innings last year? Yeah. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. So I agree with you, and I I
1: certainly think that there's a need to try to increase pace of play and all that other stuff, and we haven't really talked about that. here. Let me just – because I think theoretically this sounds great. Now let's apply it in practice. The Phillies are holding a one-game lead uh, on September 30th of the 2020 season, and they bring in a righty out of the bullpen, whoever you want that righty to be. Let's just say it's Tommy Hunter. <laughs> Tommy Hunter's out there for some reason, because uh, so, I want to make this is I do want to make this a hypothetical. Um, so he comes out and. Uh, they're facing a team in which there are, uh, you know, there's a right handed hitter. He comes in to get that out, and then uh, there are two lefties following. And you have to leave him in the game for at least two more hitters, and then he gives up a double off the fence, and then he gives up a two run homer. And now you've lost your lead in the division with two games left to go because your reliever had to face three batters minimum. There are, I think, um, immediate concerns and then there are trickle down concerns. Like, so now, does this make guys with uh, more, you know, that that aren't as split heavy uh, more palatable to to GMs? You say, like, I'm not really worried that he's dominant against lefties. I'm really worried that he can get everybody out. Does that make certain pitchers more valuable? Um, Does that make specialists less valuable? Um, Yes. When it burns your team. (laughs) Do you say if this is a great rule at least it happened more quickly like because I would gladly sit around for an extra 16 minutes if I meant my team was going to win? So that's the other aspect of it and I do wonder if there are unintended consequences because at the heart of this it's about pace of play speeding the game up what happens if you get a guy out there that just absolutely doesn't have it on a given night and now you've got to deal with that. Like it's you go out there, he doesn't have it and it's bang 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 and you know that he doesn't have it and you just got to watch this guy die on the mound. Like that to me could be that could be interesting and I just think that there are um I'm willing to see it. You know, I'm not like diametrically opposed to this. I just I don't know that this is the cure all that that baseball seems to think it might be.
0: No, I, and and maybe it has to evolve, Bob. Maybe maybe ultimately the better solution isn't to say you have to have a minimum number of face a minimum number of batters, but maybe that there's a maximum number of pitchers you can use in a 9-inning game. Yeah, and I obviously agree. With if, that. It goes, if it goes to extra innings, you know that changes everything but within nine innings maybe you say you're not allowed to use more than four pitchers
1: I'd also like to see the mound visit um w- without an actual change in, in pitching uh be eliminated like the, the days of like hey man you're all right and tell the guy a yeah. joke and then trot back to the dugout just to slow him down a little bit I, I don't know figure it out like let them let him figure it out out there like I don't know that we need that three minute mound visit to just say hey you know your your shoulders yeah. flying open you know I, I think yeah. that that's something that we could eliminate I think there are other ways to do this I don't know I'm willing to see it um, because I would admit that the game's flawed I know that there are tremendous issues that currently exist in the game so I'm all for it but I don't I don't think that this is great I don't think that once we see it people are going to love it as much as they think they might right now yeah
0: I mean I, I again i'm I'm okay with it I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not opposed to it. Let's put it that way. I just. I think that. I'd rather. I'd rather that be the evolution, than we're gonna go. Oh, put a pitcher in. He's gonna throw one pitch. Now we're gonna take him out because we're gonna go in another yeah. pitcher. Oh, now we're gonna take out And and this kind of ties into the other thing that's coming into into play next next year, and that's adding a 26th man to the roster, which is all well and good, but you know it's gonna be another bullpen arm. Yeah. It's just teams are just going to add another relief pitcher, yeah. so then it would only make it worse. So that so I'm kind of okay with saying you gotta you gotta face a certain number of batters or whatever the case might be to limit the amount of pitching changes. But you know, and and now I I know that there, there's been talks. Of, well, you know, if they're, they're going to add 26 men, but you know, the, the rule's going to be maybe no more than 13 pitchers. Well, freak, you already only. You, Teams are already using twelve pitchers as it is. So if you add another player and you say, well, no more than thirteen, what the hell do you think they're gonna do? They're gonna add another relief pitcher. They're not gonna put another batter on the on the on the bench with that extra player. So I'm not certain that twenty sixth player really helps unless you unless you cap the pitchers at twelve. If you cap the pitchers at twelve and you say, All right, now we're gonna give you a fifth bench player, I'm good with that. I'm certainly good with that, right? Because then, because the, again, there. Were how many times last year did we see games where it wasn't just Gabe, but it, you know, we watched the Phillies more than anybody else. It
1: was a lot of Gabe, though. It was a
0: lot of Gabe, where he would pinch hit a guy in the fifth inning, and then and then pinch hit for another guy in the in the sixth inning, and you're like, holy hell, they're down to the backup catcher and one pinch hitter. There's three innings to go in this game. You have one bat left on the bench, really. And how many times did Andrew Knapp have to come up in the ninth inning? Because that's all they had left. Yep. Like, it, like, you didn't – there were things you sit there and say, well, man, if you just had a fifth bench player, it would make it so much easier. Well, so if you, if you cap the number of pitchers at 12, I'm okay with adding a 26th player. But if you're not, if you're not going to do that, then what the hell's the difference? You're only going to allow these teams to have more pitchers for no reason. I, I agree with you. I, I, that I'm on board with. Look at that, Bob. Yeah, we agreed on all this stuff, and, and
1: at a crisp one hour and twenty minutes, twelve thirty-two here <laughs> on an early Friday morning. I think that that will about do it. You got well, anything it, else? Yeah. No. It,
0: well, you know what the best part about this whole thing is, Bob. Yeah. Here I am up. It's you know after midnight, and we're talking baseball, which is great. But then I, you know, I did snow the goalie with uh, with Russ the other morning, and I, we were up at five thirty in the morning doing that because Russ had to go off to teach. So, I'm just as good at 5.30 in the morning as I am at uh, 12.30 in the morning.
1: (laughs) I'm struggling. I feel like that the timing of this podcast probably uh, slurred my speech a little bit. Uh, I definitely feel like I've lost my train of thought. I survived. I just, I sacked up and did it for the people tonight. (laughs) That's right. uh, I'm definitely not as crisp as I usually would be otherwise. I Uh, I felt it tonight a little bit. I really did. You didn't um, have your best stuff, but no, you had to face yeah. you had to face three
0: batters tonight, so that's what happened.
1: Like Jake Arietta in his third <laughs> spring training start. I'm just I'm gutting <laughs> through it, you know. I'm not gonna bitch about it, I'm not gonna cry, I'm just gonna do it. That's right. All right, so uh, let's see. Before we get out of here, some uh, important things for people to know. Uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia. Kevin Kincaid, he has a rotating assortment of guests. Snow the goalie with yourself and Russ Joy. That thing has been on fire lately. Any other great guests lined up uh, here uh, in no, the month of March? No.
0: we're working. Not nothing. Okay. Just yet. Yeah, we're, okay. we're working on it. Okay. Uh, there's there's a couple that are uh, in in the hopper, but I can't say anything. Public yet, All so. right.
1: We got uh, Phil Keidel and Russ. You can listen to Phil's Hot Soccer Picks on that podcast, uh, which is always nice. You have Broadlines, which is uh, starting up with Kyle and myself and uh, Jason Zernicki, who uh, just uh, joined our crew as well. He'll be involved with that. Uh, And then uh, if you would like to uh, follow my baseball musings on Twitter You can follow me at BW crossing broad and you can follow Anthony at aunt San Philly also uh, Next Thursday first round of the NCAA tournament one of the best sports days of the year crossing broad will be having an Event a watch party at the tap room in Haddon Township. Uh, Come on out for that We will pay your bill if you sign up for points bet in front of us and place a $5 bet We'll take care of your tab Make sure that you make it out for that. It's a great deal. Free beer's good and uh free food's good and certainly the first round of the NCAA tournament is good. So try to make it out to that next Thursday, starts at noon, and that'll go on through the night. Got anything else for us, Anthony?
0: No, I'm good.
1: I think that was as smooth as I was all night.
0: That was see, that because it's, I, I, that's it's right. pre-planned. I oh, actually wrote need it need.
1: down this time rather than trying to remember all the podcasts that we have. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It helps plan. All right. That'll do it for us. We'll be back probably uh, sometime middle of next week. And uh, closing in on the start of the 2019 season, we can kick this thing off and start bitching about baseball in the regular season.
0: Can't wait, man. We're, we're officially 13 days away from opening day. How
1: about it? All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And make sure that you check back in. See you soon.